Hello friends and welcome to season two of The Membership. Just a quick note here before we get started. First of all, we want to thank all of you, our listeners, for the support you showed us during season one. From the in-person comments we received at the recording of our live first episode, to all of your kind and thoughtful iTunes reviews, social media posts, and emails, the amount of support our fellow members have given us has been wonderful. It's this support that inspires us to continue our work and to want to make the podcast even better in Season 2 and beyond. And we're hoping some of you can help us. While we certainly understand that not all of our fellow members will be able to support us financially, we'd like to ask those of you who are to consider making a monthly donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash membershippod. Your donations will go toward covering the costs associated with the podcast, including website hosting fees, recording equipment, editing help, and travel costs for future interview episodes. And any amount that you can afford to donate will be a huge help, even if it's just a dollar a month. All monthly patrons at the dollar a month level or above will be invited to a private Facebook group where we'll post special updates about upcoming episodes, bonus content, and even share unedited episodes and interviews. So go to patreon.com slash membership pod to pitch in today. Hello, friends. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of The Membership. This is a podcast about the works and life of Wendell Berry, the farmer, poet, novelist, essayist, activist, and thinker. Tonight, we'll be talking about A Half Pint of Old Darling and The Lost Bet, two Ptolemy Proudfoot short stories. My name is Tim Wassum, and I'm joined by my two fellow members. This is John Pattison. This is Jason Hardy. All right, guys, it's good to be back together, all of us on the same line for the first time this season. So you guys been doing well? Doing all right. Yeah, doing okay. Thanks cool. for thanks for that great episode one that the two of you recorded about the hidden wound. That was great. Oh gosh, Doctor Vinch. She was a she was an awesome yeah. awesome guest to have on. We were really, really lucky to have her. So um, really and really thankful for the for the response we've gotten from that episode. And it's 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 gratifying to hear that people are are, are back with us for season two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how about we start out with some, uh, I guess we were, we've been calling them farm fresh points. So, uh, John, you want to start us off with some, with some farm fresh points? Yeah. Uh, the first thing that, uh, well, I'll, I'll put both of mine together, uh, which is that I recently purchased the new book by Tanya Berry, uh, Wendell's wife, and it's called For the Hog Killing 1979, and it's a collection of her photographs of a hog killing in 1979, and it includes an essay by Wendell. Um, I have not read the essay yet. I I looked through the photographs. I think it'd be worth us recording a whole. I mean, I mean potentially like an episode about this. That's not yeah. something I talked to you guys about no, beforehand. It's a great but idea. Um, it's 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 really striking. Um, but the set. My second one is that I purchased it through the new bookstore that the Berry Center, uh, the new bookstore website that the Berry Center Bookstore has set up. Um, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes, but it's just berrycenterbookstore.com. No, it is. Uh, yes, it is. It is. <laughs> my dog. My dog is eating behind me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know if it was like scratching at the door or something. No. Sure. This just no. reminds me, I, I saw Levon Helm in concert uh, before he died. And he, he had a golden retriever that walked around the stage of the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. Wow. So I think we should just yeah. go with oh, it. No, this is an agrarian this. show. I was, just like, making, I was mostly just making sure that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, for, so for those of you who don't have access to the Google Doc... Um, <laughs> As you're as you're listening to this, Tim wrote in our Google Doc, "John, is that your dog?" Because as I'm sure you heard, there was there was some sort of sound behind me, and it was my dog eating from her eating her dry dog food behind me. Um, <laughs> last week, I recorded a podcast for uh, my for the, the the organization that I work for now, and it was like all of the staff were there, so there were like I think six of us on the line, and every time I wasn't talking, I had my microphone unmuted. My dog was with me in the in the room. 
they asked me a question, so I un I unmuted myself, and Jenny, my dog, used uh, chose that moment to start drinking from her water dish, yeah. and yeah, it was the same. It was the same thing. Um, folks were folks could all hear it. So the lesson, I guess, is. Why have your dog in the office when you're recording a podcast? <laughs> it's the pod dog. Yeah. Pod dog, yeah. yeah. Yes. Nice. So, uh, yeah, so you're saying about the Newberry Center uh, bookstore <laughs> website. Yeah. <laughs> How about, how's this for a plug for the Berry Center bookstore website? <laughs> yeah. We will include a link in the show notes, but it's berrycenterbookstore.com. And so that's where I bought my copy of Tanya Berry's um, new book and... I would suggest that you go buy yours from there as well. Yeah, we'll try to use them. Uh, we'll try to remember to use them as often as possible as a link uh, to anything that we're talking about on episodes on the podcast in the future. Yeah. So, um, like I said before, we're really thankful for the response to episode one, uh, which uh, at the at the point of recording now, episode two hasn't. We haven't re- released that one yet, but we're really thankful for uh, for people's kind words. And and John, you, I didn't even know this was. Uh, coming, uh, Jason. Did you had you heard that there was that he was working on a new no new no book? yeah. So John, tell us about the new book that uh, that Barry's is working on right now. I didn't know anything about this until people started responding to the episode that the two of you did with the hidden wound. We received uh, messages from two different people who had heard in two different places that Barry is working on a new book about race. One had heard it at an event at the Barry Center, and the other had heard it. At, at an event at, I think one of, uh, Barry was doing something at a local church, like an event at a local church, I think it was the second one. Um, so yeah, very, that's really, gosh, when did, so it's been almost 50 years since The Hidden Wound came out, is that mm-hmm. possible? Yes. Yeah, 50 years. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, almost. So yeah, can't wait for that, that'll be, that'll be very exciting we may have to break with our chronological uh, approach to nonfiction to uh, read that and talk about it before mm-hmm. yeah we were and that, that was yeah I was gonna say that's a good transition to kind of a point I wanted to make is that we had we had been discussing the fact that uh, it's we don't want to always have this our conversations be about Barry's work in like a past tense sort of like the things that have come out in the past because he's still writing he's still publishing stuff today and so one thing that we've discussed uh, and you know just between us and then also from feedback we've gotten from other people is that we want to within each season where we're going through the same progression of, of the chronology of Port William and the chronology of, of, of Barry's writing career we also want to incorporate at least an episode or two in each season where we are covering his his recent writings because he's writing about politics today and environmental issues today and ra- and soon to be uh, issues of race today and so we want to be we want to highlight the fact that that Barry is has always been a writer who's current with the times in his own way. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so uh, we we'll look forward to talking about that and also some of the other recent releases like a world, uh, world ending fire. Uh, was that the name? Did I get that? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. World ending mm-hmm. fire. Like talk about that collection soon. So uh, stay tuned for that. So tonight we are covering a couple short stories, a couple really entertaining short stories. Uh, we always love talking about Ptolemy Proudfoot on this mm-hmm. podcast and his stories. And these are two, uh, two pretty classic ones. So, uh, I think we're going to start out by talking about a story called a half pint of old darling, which was originally published in the summer of 1993 in the draft horse journal. It has shown up in several other places since then, including, uh, watch with me and, uh, the collection of Ptolemy Proudfoot stories. And then it showed up in that distant land, which is his collected stories. And then now of course it is in the uh, library of America collection as well. So to give a just kind of very basic synopsis of the story before we get into describing some of the highlights and things that that we've taken away. Uh, This is a story from 1920 in which uh, Tall and Minnie, who before we started recording, I just finally released, or realized thanks to John, that that is a play on the fact that he is Tall and she is Minnie. So, um, And I learned it thanks to Jason (laughs) from season one. (laughs) And so this is this is, I still did not catch on to that. Like it still did not, it did not click. And I'm sure everybody listening is like, what a moron. That's uh this is that's the, pretty... this is the sort of incisive, uh, 
uh, you know, close read that you can expect here. Yeah. The, uh, the <laughs> you will not be disappointed. Um, <laughs> but in the story, Tall and Minnie are uh, going into, I believe, is it they're going into Hargrave? Yes. They're going into Hargrave, and uh, they're going in to just kind of do some, you know, just a regular visit, do some some errands and things, and go have a nice dinner at a restaurant that Tall particularly likes. And while there, Tall decides to buy a pint of whiskey, which has recently been outlawed due to prohibition. And so he convinces the store owner to sell him some for medicinal purposes, which actually is true. It's medicinal purposes for his animals. So he buys it to use with his lambs. But on the way home, he fails to mention that he's bought the whiskey to his wife, and his wife decides to dispose of it in a very entertaining way. So <laughs> that is all I'll say for now. That's like an IMDb like plot. This is a Netflix, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> or if you're part, if you're from my generation, it's like that's what's in the back of the TV guide, like the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. So I thought uh, maybe a good way to. So we've gone over sort of the. Uh, that's, that's the general broad strokes of the story. And so um, let's just start by going over some of our favorite passages. So, John, you want to start us out with some passages that have stuck out to you? And then... Well, I have to I have to reserve one because it's at the very end, and I just love it so much. But it would reveal everything about the story. So I, and that's well, just... Go ahead. Well, why don't I revise that then? Why don't we do first impressions? So, okay. what was your first impression of the story on this reading? Because I always like, I like when we talk about things that we've read before and just talk about mm-hmm. how, like, what was it like on this reading through, uh, through the story? Um, I love the character Burley Coulter. We, we, I think we all, we all like him a lot. Um, but going through these Ptolemy Proudfoot stories, I'm reminded of just how much I love Tall and how much I love Tall and Minnie together. They're perfectly matched to each other in part because they are so wonderfully mismatched in, in a lot of ways, including their size. Um, but it's, it's just so endearing the two of them together and, and how, not even how fond they are of each other, but just how, um, affectionate they are toward one another. Um, uh, anyway, so it's, it's, I, so my impression of this rereading the story is that I smiled the entire time I was reading it alone in my room and then burst out laughing several times as well. Uh, it was just, it was such, such a delightful story. And I, and I'm actually going to read it out loud later tonight to, to Kate, my wife, cause I think that she'll, she'll love it too. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I have very similar reactions. I think every time we talk about a Ptolemy Proudfoot story, I, say this but um you know uh, a lot of mary's fiction is very much him um an uncharitable way to describe it is him grinding an axe the same axes that he grinds in his nonfiction, right um in in a fictional way and everything ends up being good even in spite of that uh but these Ptolemy Prophet stories, he is just telling a story that is a fun story to tell. Mm-hmm. Like, and in so doing, he is still, uh, by just highlighting this relationship between these two people, there's just so much goodness there. Um, I think, I think what really strikes me about them, do, do we know, uh, do we know, did Tall and many ever have children? I don't think they do. Yeah, I don't so think they do either. And very that's, late. Yeah, to me, that's, you know, uh, family is really important in, in Barry's fiction. And I think, you know, family is important to me. And I think that's great. But it's it's also great to have a couple who don't have children as well um, in, in Barry's fictional universe. Um, I think I'm thinking about that because we're uh, my church right now going through a Sunday school class that is also a sort of discussion around issues of sex and marriage and things like this. And my, my church is one where not everyone agrees on those issues and there is no uh, sort of unifying doctrinal structure that the church imposes on people. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been an interesting experience to, to go through those conversations, but just to coming to this story from that, like having those kinds of conversations on my mind, I, I'm just, 
it, it's great to have an example of a beautiful marriage that does not include children. Um, yeah. I think that's that's something good to to have in in Barry's corpus. Yeah, that's something I've never thought about, and I, I totally, but I one hundred percent agree with what you're saying, and I also agree with the you know, the point of the like axe to grind idea that sometimes mm-hmm. that that sort of comes through more heavily. Whereas uh, when we talked about hidden wound, he talked about uh, Barry talked about his family being storytellers and that they would sit around, they would tell stories and the Tom, your proudfoot stories very much feel like the kinds of stories that would have been told around. Yeah. Like, you know, after dinner sitting around with family with a fire or whatever, just kind of uh, in that setting, they they very much feel like that. And, and, and John, like to the point you were making, one thing that I really appreciate about these stories and on this, the first reading of this, it really came through to me was uh, he sort of goes to pains with like the sort of smile response that you, you talked about. He goes to a pains to make them seem so normal. Like he'll list like all the things that they do. They do this chore and they do this chore and then they do this chore and they just chore. But then the whole point of the story is this one time when they just sort of catapult out of the normal farm family stuff and turn out to be nothing. There's, there's, there's hardly anything ordinary about them. Right. Because that's a story that, uh, so the story of, of many drinking this whiskey and getting drunk and it, it could have gone so many different ways, but the way that it goes is so special because of the things you two were talking about, about the love mm-hmm. between them and about the, the, the specialness of their relationship. There's no, there's no drama really that happens between the two of them for the most part. There's a little hints at it that like he was horrified, but then he couldn't do anything but laugh. Um, but and when she found the whiskey, she was horrified, but her response is a kind of, she sees it as an opportunity to do a romantic, you know, a, gest, a romantic gesture of self-sacrifice. Yeah, she's being but instead of letting her <laughs> husband, who she thought she knew, become a drunkard, she's going to drink it herself. And, you know, it, so it's, it is this act of sacrifice, too, mm-hmm. on her part. I mean, it's 100% an act of of romantic love on her part she's going to save him from the demon liquor yeah yeah that's that was a yeah which i i coyly avoided talking about this which is sort of stupid because a lot of people listening to this will have already listened to Wait, it why does she get drunk yeah. <laughs> 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 she's drunk what no but uh yeah so just to kind of give the the rundown of that part if, if it's been a while since you've read it this is the so they're they're on their way back to go to the farm and tall without thinking has put the bottle of whiskey under the seat of their buggy and and i i like that they use his depth of thinking and they use it in both of these stories but they use his depth of thinking as a tool in order to make him just totally oblivious to anything that she does she mm-hmm. says that when you're thinking you might as well be sleeping because it's just like when his mind gets working and he's thinking it's like he's not seeing anything else in the world and so while he's in this other world thinking about his uh you know his next you know, uh, the livestock he's going to bring in or whatever it is. Minnie finds the bottle, which she's very familiar with considering the family that she came from and I get, and, and from her dad. And then uh, she decides, she takes it heroically upon herself to drink this whiskey because, well, she doesn't want to throw it in the bushes. And so, <laughs> I love this, the logic of like, she doesn't want to throw it in the bushes and then somebody find it and then drink it themselves. Uh, but also she doesn't want to waste it. Which she makes a point to say, like, not waste the whiskey, but waste the money that we spent on the whiskey. Which can I read that passage? Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it. it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> she almost flung the bottle into the roadside weeds right there and then, but two thoughts prevented her. First, she imagined that if the bottle did not hit a rock and break, that some innocent boy or young man might come along and find it and be tempted to drink the whiskey, and that would not do. Second, and perhaps this thought was not even second, for her mind was working fast, she remembered that whiskey was an expensive product. When she thought it would be a shame to waste it, she meant, of course, the money that Tall had spent for the whiskey, not the whiskey itself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so she she goes about... Uh, she goes about drinking the majority of the bottle, and uh, Jason, just take it away on your little quip that you gave us at the beginning. What's that? Oh, so it was a yeah. pint bottle. So it's a pint bottle, and the, the title of the story is A Half Pint of Old Darling, so that means she drank half of it, uh, and uh, she is also 
a half pint of a person because we're told <laughs> <Yes>. she's extremely <laughs> short. Which then yeah. gives you a whole different reading on the title because a half pint of Old Darling just sounds like a half pint of Miss Mitty, right? Right, okay. right. Um, right. Yeah, so this is, so they are, they are on their way back. Tall kind of figures out what is happening. Uh, she starts to kind of yell out to people who are coming down the road about Gallagher, who's running for office, who's a Democrat, which at the beginning they say that, like, what is, I, I love the line at the, the very beginning where she says that being a Democrat, or, well, the narrator, I guess Andy says that being Democrats was much the same, the, uh, the same sort of thing as being vertebrates. So it's just, <laughs> if you're from um, Kentucky, you're a Democrat. Yeah. yeah and so uh, she's shouting out and Tall figures this out and he's like, what's going on? And I think it, she, he figures it out at the point where she says, woo, do that again, do that again, um, which is a, a, a great line that I, uh, I definitely wanted to read. This is uh uh, she says, oh wait, sorry, um, kind of hopping around here, but this is the point where she says, she calls him a drunkard, and he says, no ma'am, I'm not a drunkard, you know better, which I think goes back to John, what you were saying about how familiar mm -hmm. they are with each other, he says, you know better, and he, he says that it was for lambs, she says, you get little lambs drunk? <laughs> oh my dear man, you are the limit. <laughs> so, um. There's, there's so, there, I mean, there's so much to cover here, and it's hard to just not read the whole story um, over the course of the conversation. But I, I do, um, you know, that's that's sort of the thrust of the story. She she gets herself drunk on the way home, and then Tall takes care of her, and then makes himself a big dinner because it had been a long day. Yeah. <laughs> but what are some of the sections um, with with his his fiction? I'm always curious to hear about uh, parts of the story that you. I guess feel will stick with you, um, in maybe a, a, a greater sense, if that makes sense, if that, if that uh, makes any sense, like the, these are takeaways, uh, sections of the story that caught you, especially, especially sure. hard. I mean, this, it, I, I think it's important to remember that, um, I mean, he goes to, to some, um, some trouble to remind us that this is 1920, um, and yes, prohibition happened, but also, uh, what is it, the 19th Amendment mm -hmm. that um, allowed women to vote um, also happened around this time as well. And and so the idea that um, Miss Minnie is, is a proponent of both of those amendments, a very strong proponent of both of those amendments, and a, and a lot of uh, the suffragette movement was also sort of tied up in the prohibition movement. Yeah, right? which is forgotten. Yeah. I think a lot. It's not talked about as much because we talk about the twenties as being time of prohibition, and then also the time of like bootlegging and wild party. But the whole point of prohibition was uh, it was you know the yeah that that movement was run by women who were dealing with husbands who were drinking away all their money, right? Um, and their paychecks weren't making at home, and so the, yeah, those two are just are, are linked. In a, right, right, yeah. and I and I just love the passages early on about the question of uh, women's suffrage. Um, uh, on the question of the suffrage amendment, Tall's conclusion was that if he had the vote, and if, as he believed, Miss Minnie was smarter than he was, then Miss Minnie should have the vote. Miss <laughs> Minnie, who did not think she was smarter than Tall and did not wish to be, said that. Though Tall had not accurately weighed all the evidence, his reasoning was perfect. The vote, <laughs> said Tall, means that us onlookers and bystanders get to have a little bit of say-so. And I want my little bit, Miss Minnie said. So it's out with the whiskey and in with the women, Tall said. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love their, I love the fact that they're talking about politics. It says, like, on the way they just, like, sort of go back and forth about politics. Like, they're, they're so totally open with one another yeah it's so refreshing well that they of... are but there's also that passage about like tall's relationship to alcohol oh yeah <laughs> tall for his part enjoyed a bottle of beer occasionally and occasionally he had been known to enjoy a good drink of somebody else's whiskey whether homemade or bottled in bond he did not particularly care so long as it was good he liked whiskey of a quality to cure a sore throat not cause one this was not something that Miss Minnie knew or that Tall had ever considered telling her. It was not something she had ever had any occasion or, so far as he knew, any need to know. 
Liquor was also something that he could easily go without. If the country chose not to drink, then he could comfortably endure the deprivation as long as the country could. So there is that sense of this is not something that many knows about. They are open with one another and they have a good relationship, but there is this... I don't know. Yeah. Something that is is held back. But I think true to Tall's character, I don't think he's trying to keep. No, he's from, not trying. It's to just hide it hasn't that. even crossed his mind to say it to her because right, it's right. like it's such a non-issue to him. Like right. it says, like if people stop drinking, then fine, whatever. Yeah. I'll stop drinking. And so it's just like it does not even cross his mind because also he's been living as a bachelor for so long. That's that, right. That yeah. he's he's just in it. he he spends a lot of time in his own head. Yeah. And so yeah. that's just one of those things that hasn't broken out because it's never been an issue. You know. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, I thought that I, I was reading the the point in the story where they've they've gotten into town and they've started to get, uh, they they went to dinner. They have this big long dinner and they're going out to buy things. This is when Tall after dinner buys the bottle of whiskey, and I got to thinking about the fact. There's this great little sentence where he where she says that they she wanted to says and then miss minnie who wanted to buy tall's christmas present a little awkwardly presented the falsehood that she had a few little errands and would meet him at the livery stable in an hour and a half and then tall who also had some errands to run went off uh, i'm, I'm going to throw this back john to your uh teenage obsession with obsession with oh henry um <laughs> This felt, I started to think about just like comically think that this story is like the gift of the Magi if it was directed by the Coen brothers or something or had like, I mean, there's a little less blood than the Coen brothers probably would have brought into it. (laughs) But, uh, but just like the sort of absurdity of it, it starts out as, and I think it is a pretty direct reference because he does even say that, that tall bought him a a pretty little comb that he had seen. So I think that I, I have a feeling that there, that's a pretty direct allusion there, um, with this story to the, to the gift of the Magi sort of like. Uh, crazy, you know, Kentucky version of of the gift of the Magi. That's not a connection that I had made, but now I totally see it. I love that. <laughs> and man, impressed that you remembered I had a teenage obsession with Henry. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm listening, man. I I wish I had been reading Wendell Berry instead of O Henry. Frankly, uh, oh, well, let's just say that O Henry got you to Wendell Berry. How about that's that? right. There you go. There you yeah, go. that's a positive way of putting it. Yeah. I like that. I want to just jump um, uh, jump in and kind of build on what Jason was saying, which is that I, um, I in the in those first few pages when you know where where they're talking about politics, you you see how how eager they each are to defer to one another, mm-hmm. and how they look up to one another, and. Miss Minnie obviously looks looks up to Tall, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> but then Barry writes to say that Tall looked up to Miss Minnie is to use a figure of speech, for Tall was an unusually big man and Miss Minnie an unusually sw- small woman, and so at the moment when he was in spirit looking up to her, he was in the flesh beaming down upon her, from beneath a swatch of hair that projected above his brows like a porch roof. <laughs> And I like that as, you know, I'm not unusually tall, but I'm significantly taller than my wife. And she is, she's a powerhouse. And um, I'm learning every single day, it feels like, to, uh, to honestly, like, to, to uh, not, not, maybe, maybe defer is the wrong word, but... I'm seeing more and more every single day just how extraordinary she is and how much I have to learn from her. In fact, I I told somebody recently that so many of the best things in my life, whether it's um, slow church or uh, making a decision that we are going to be the kind of people who knew their neighbors or living in community, these are all things that Kate kind of dragged me into at first and then I wrote books about them like, <laughs> like the best things in my life I, like I was following her lead um sometimes begrudgingly but it, you know it's I there's some so many of the best things in my life I owe to her and I very much from a literal standpoint look down on her but figurative uh, but but figuratively look up to her 
She's got quality. Yeah, she's got you quality. That's right. As, as Tall would say. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. I need to make sure she listens to this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll yeah, we'll text it to her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, you know, that the very touching point that also reminded me of a, a less touching point, but also something that just like I really enjoy about these stories is the descriptions of Tall as a person, like the description of Tall me that come up in every story. And I think I want to work on like organizing a chat book that's just made up of Wendell Berry's descriptions of Tommy Proudfoot's physical body, yeah. like the way that he yeah. wears clothes. Yeah. Um, yeah, one that stuck out to me is it says, the only time Tall's clothes looked good was before he put them on. In putting them on, he forgot about them and began, without the slightest malice toward them, to subject them to various forms of abuse. <laughs> Which goes right with your thing about the you know the porch uh, yeah porch roof hanging uh, hanging over. I, uh, we've talked about it before, but I just uh, love that. Just he's he he has fun with it. I think later I think it's is that in the Lost Bet where he says that he wears his clothes like he wears mud, or is that in the story? I think that's in the Lost the Lost Bet, which we'll get to. Yeah. So yeah, the story. Let's let's talk. I guess briefly about the ending of the story before we before we uh, finish up there. Uh, at the end, I think this is a, an important quote to point out because it kind of becomes the punchline for the story that they tell around the, the living room in the future that, that eventually Minnie tells uh, Andy Catlett, our narrator, and tells him, uh, she says that, <laughs> as the story goes, uh, after Tall finally gets her into bed, uh, to, to sleep, to kind of sleep off the the old darling. She says, I surely am the degradedest woman who ever lived. I, sh- I have shamed myself and most of all you. And he says, no, no, no. Uh, you didn't do no such thing. Um, and I love, this is one of my favorite sentences of the entire story. It says, it was, as many would later say, a lovely time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, they, they have such a good sense of humor about one another and such a good kind of perspective on uh, what matters and what doesn't, right? Yeah. What's a big deal and what isn't, right? Uh, they eventually were able to laugh about it. Um, and yeah, I think that's just, uh, just, just a perfect, a perfect little ending. And I, and I, one convention that I wanted to point out is that towards the end of the story, there's a break in the page. And then I love how Barry in both of these stories plays with time as far mm-hmm. as when the stories are told and, uh, who's telling them and such where suddenly we're thrust from 1920 way forward to the point when he's actually being told the story um, which he kind of hints at throughout in, in both of them but he's he we're suddenly uh, sitting right in front of Miss Minnie as she's talking about it and she says Mr. Proudfoot was horrified but after it was over he just had to rear back and laugh oh he was a man of splendid qualities splendid as I pronounce that but um, yeah. yeah so uh very entertaining story. Do you guys have any kind of last thoughts you want to share about that before we move on to Lost Bet? Well, just real quick, this is that little, uh, the little bit there at the end, those, those two short paragraphs, get to what you were saying earlier about Barry growing up in a storytelling family. Both of these, both of these stories, um, Half Pint of Old Darling and The Lost Bet are, are very much like what you said. Like you can imagine if not Barry's family, then Andy Catlett's family sitting around and telling these stories. Yeah. And it's, it, it's interesting. I don't know about you guys, but for me, like hearing at the end that Miss Minnie would say, et cetera, like you, it's, you get the sense, I think even more in the last bet that tall dies before Miss Minnie does. Mm-hmm. And that is, maybe the time in which Andy Catlett is collecting these stories, uh, hearing them from Miss Minnie. So you do, I don't know, there's almost a little bit of a tragic sense at the end that this is, but, but, but still beautiful because she's looking back on um, her marriage to Tall fondly and telling these wonderful stories. And yeah. both, and both of these short stories end with a, a really touching insight about yeah. Tall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is uh, as far as the the timeline goes of Fort William. Andy Catlett was he was born in 1934, so this story that's happening would have been 14 years before he was even born, and so we get the feeling that he he's kind of mining the community for stories about Ptolemy Proudfoot yeah. that he sees as as worth knowing and worth worth sharing. So, 
there's the the memory keeper at work. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That before. Yeah, I think the only last thing I wanted to mention, which feels like a little out of place, just mentioning it now, but I did love the line where it said that Tall was always skeptical of anyone who you who started sentences with my fellow Kentuckians too often. (laughs) (laughs) That was back to that that uh, political talk. I did I did enjoy that little insight that yeah, anyone who started sentences with my fellow Kentuckians too often was was a little suspect at all. So, but a uh, great story. Really enjoyed rereading that. Now, um, this one for me, the lost bet, our, our next story is one that I had never read before. So uh, hmm. until now, this is one that, or this is always kind of the, the explanation I have to give is that I don't remember reading it. I'm sure I, I must have, if it's in that distant land, but it's been a while and I don't really remember having come across it. But the, uh, the simple overview of this story is that once a year, um, Tall and his friend Sam Hanks make a special trip to Louisville to sell off his uh, his livestock. And so he makes this special trip uh, once a year, and so it kind of turns into his special getaway in some ways, where he's there for this one day, and while he's there, he makes the most of it. And he gets to go out and eat fried oysters. He gets to go out and, and just converse with people that he would never typically come across. And Sam Hanks is his ride. Uh, and so they uh, they take this trip to Louisville to sell his his livestock off. And as he as Sam Hanks notes, because Sam Hanks is the character who that we get the feeling along with Miss Benny has been passing the story along to Andy, which is a, another great little convention, fictional con- uh, uh, or fiction writing convention, I should say, that he uses is that uh, he put Sam Hanks in this story because he he needs somebody to tell it because Tall would never tell this story himself. Uh, to somebody other than Miss Minnie, but Miss Minnie and Sam Hanks have told him the story. And when he gets there, as they go to this restaurant and they eat fried oysters and they converse with people that they wouldn't normally see, Sam Hanks points out that uh, at times, Tall would get himself into some some rough positions because he would be a little too friendly with people, with, with city folk, who he typically wouldn't come across. And uh, after spending time in the in this this restaurant and without any sort of major issue. He goes off to look for navy beans, which is the one thing that they don't grow themselves. So they go off to look for navy beans. They go from store to store to store to store until they find it to one, which sounds like the uh, the Whole Foods of little marketplaces in 1929. <laughs> in 1929. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this very like... very uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe even Whole Foods is like not, not the right one. It's some sort of like sort of high-end little organic grocer that you have that everything is overpriced and it's in downtown. But he goes into this place and he is sort of made a fool of by the owner. The owner starts to call him names and then Tall decides to uh, take some pretty sophisticated revenge. There's my IMDb thing again. So, so, uh, yeah, first impressions. Uh, Jason, what was your first impression of this reading of The Lost Bet? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I wanted to say I, I I sort of wondered if we sort of start to see a little bit more axe grinding in this story, just because a you know common refrain from Barry is that um, you know country people are often looked down upon um, as you know backwards. The the term that gets thrown around is rednecks. Um, you know, I think Barry in several places says that. It's the last, you know, acceptable prejudice to have in polite society is to uh, look down upon uh, country people. But even so, there's no uh, there's no internal uh, internal monologue from Tall Proudfoot, right? There's just the actions of of what happens. So there is this sort of class uh, difference between the store owner and the salesmen who are hanging out there and tall who is a, a country person but it doesn't feel like any any axes being grinded you know with with, with uh jaber crow for instance we might hear a little bit of that because jaber crows we we get jaber crow's internal monologue right yeah. but this is all sort of third hand uh <laughs> storytelling which is which is great that's one of the most appealing things about tall is that you're always wondering like he has these silent moments of thinking you're like oh what's he thinking what's gonna happen because <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. he's always kind of working things through the gears in yeah. his head yeah so yeah i mean i i just i think it's a another another delightful story for sure yeah what about you John? there's a 
Uh, yeah, um, I also think it's delightful. Think it's a delightful story. But to Jason, what you were saying about, and I, I guess both of you um, kind of mentioned this. You kind of you're wondering what Tal is thinking, and in the first story, we saw that when Tal was deep in thought, it was like it was like he was sleeping, mm-hmm. almost as if he was sleeping. Here, uh, Barry writes um, when, and this is from Sam Hanks's perspective. When Tall thought, he looked like he wasn't thinking at all. He looked like he was listening to a low rumble in his guts. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I did think this story was delightful. It felt... Um, I, I just liked it so much less than the story that came before it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it, 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 it... Gosh, I don't want to say it felt lightweight... But it just didn't delight me anywhere near as much as as the previous story. I I I actually kind of wish I had read them, not so close together. If okay. if I'm being really honest, um, I felt like, yeah, I I thought it was I thought it was thought it was good, but but not really fantastic. Yeah, I I think that one thing that's really interesting about these stories side by side is that this one is tall, essentially alone. And the mm-hmm. other one is basically Minnie essentially alone during her, you know, during the, the climax of the story where she's drinking and she's having these thoughts and she's processing something. We kind of get to see like, you know, that was what Minnie does when she knows that Tall's not paying attention and she's trying to figure this problem out. And now we see what Tall does when he's trying to figure out, uh, you know, such a problem. So I thought, yeah, I found that kind of interesting because it's, it's a... Yeah, I, Tall is not a character who we've we've seen up until this point spending a whole lot of time away from her. So that was, I found mm-hmm. that just generally kind of interesting yeah. uh, by default. I do agree that the kind of payoff of the story is, I don't know, I don't know if I would say shallow because, but I mean, it is at least simple. It's, it's a simple payoff, but we do, then I'm going to go back to what Jason was saying. He, he demeans this, the, the shop owner demeans tall over the course of the kind of climax of the story and he calls him by a bunch of names which would be uh which uh, i'm I'm just gonna list them off these are names he doesn't know his name but he lists them off by these names which i guess are just sort of plays on what you would call or the kinds of names you would associate with someone who is from the country right or a farmer or whatever and he calls tall he calls him otis and he calls him Timothy, which I take particular offense to. He calls him Mr. Wheatley. He calls him Mr. Boltrack. He calls him Mr. Briarly. Um, and, and he calls him Spud. So he's t- calling him by all these names in order to basically rile up his friends uh, who are there observing the whole interaction as Tall's just trying to buy some beans. And I think that for me that I did feel a sense of like building tension where it was like, Sorry, but this guy's being a like, <laughs> whoa. Yeah. Like he was just I mean, he just wouldn't I mean, that's five, six different nicknames that he was throwing at him. And mm-hmm. that sort of a situation. Um that was just it. I mean, I, I was waiting to see what would happen with that. And I didn't know if it was gonna be a sort of turn the cheek situation or if it was gonna be a retaliation situation. And as we find out, it was both. <laughs> you know, it was sort of a, it was a kind of dual situation where he he did re, he did re, retaliate, but we did find that there was a you know a human element uh, or a human emotional element there behind it because um, I guess should I just describe what happens yeah now mm-hmm. but uh, so Tall is uh, he sort of comes out as being a sort of master what's the what's the word good a grifter is not the word i'm looking for but he's playing the guy after he figures out what's happening and he and he's sure first of all he makes sure that he has his navy beans which a little side note about that that i love is that he says that they had to get enough to get him through the winter and also have enough to give some away uh there's sort of like i I love that even in just buying beans there was sort of a tithing element to it where they were like we need to make sure that we're doing good with this have enough for other people have enough to share um but once Tall is sure that he's got his beans and they are paid for, <laughs> he makes the guy a bet. He says, I've got this quarter. Um, you want to see, you ever seen one of these disappear? And so he goes about kind of miming and screwing up this 
magic trick where he says, I'm going to make this trick or make this, this quarter disappear. And he tries it twice. It doesn't work. And then he kind of comically gets down on his hands and knees to find the quarter. And he brings it back up and he says, oh, man, well, uh, that's not the only trick I know. And the guy is now like his friends are howling. He's just totally entertained. He's like, man, I'm, I pulled this off. I'm keeping my friends. Yeah, so there are, sorry, just to, to like, there are drummers, like salesmen in suits yeah. standing with the owner like at the back counter, just like having fun at Tall's expense this whole time. Yeah. Yes. And so the last trick, he says, well, last thing, I'll make you a bet. Bet you this quarter that I can't jump into that basket of eggs right there without breaking a single egg. And the guy is so caught up in entertaining these salesmen, these drummers, that he says, oh, I bet you can't do that. But like in that, there's this great like split second where he realizes like that's a ridiculous bet. <laughs> that's a ridiculous bet to make. And the, the quote is, whoop. Like he says, whoop, like he's going to tell him to stop. And at that point, tall, like light as a feather, jumps up and stomps on the entire basket of eggs, releasing the viscous yellow goo from these eggs. And then he says, well, man, you're a hard guy to get by. And then he gives he gives him the quarter and, and walks out. So that's the sort of revenge element. But also um, at the very end of the story, as we once again go back to Miss Minnie, there's a break in the page and Miss Minnie is giving us some insight. And she says, but... He was half sorry just as soon as he did it. So um, he has too big a heart to just totally be a vengeful kind of guy. Right. Yeah, and I don't want to be a downer but <laughs> about this story. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm coming to it after our conversation about the head wound. Um, and, you know, Barry does talk at, at some point in the head wound about um, how you know, when he is linking racism to sort of uh, uh, industrial capitalist, you know, logic, he's saying this is the, the same reason that poor white people are looked down upon. And, and I think there's, there's some truth to that, but, um, and I'm not faulting this story at all. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this story, but I, I just have to wonder what if Tall had been black and this sort of same situation had played itself out? I mean, Tall, Tall gets out of this scot-free, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he walks out, the store owner doesn't send the cops after him, or if he does, it it's not successful. But if he had been black, you know, it would have been a, a very, very different situation. Yeah, that's fair. That's a pretty big what if. Or, you know, it's just kind of like, I, my brain yeah. didn't go there at all. Yeah. I was just... No, yeah. mine either. Mm -hmm. Just because, I mean, that's, I think that's definitely true. And, you know, there is the character who comes in, who he mentions, is like this colored guy who comes in and brings the, the beans out from the back. Right, who's not even right, allowed right. to be in the front, which is yeah, definitely... Because yeah. I think we mentioned this before, but this is in 1929. But uh, that's definitely true. But... Yeah. I don't know if that is the responsibility of... No, uh, I, 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 I don't think it is. Yeah. I don't think it is. I'm, I'm just... Thinking in, in the terms of, you know, we have a clear class difference here, right? And I think it is an important class difference to to think about. But I think that there's also another whole layer of this society that is is easy to, to lose sight of. Yeah. And there's 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 also the the element of the fact that he he just didn't stick around. I mean, he was gone like immediately. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Uh, you, <laughs> you can't help but like imagine that's part of the entertainment of it is imagining like once this guy was able, cause I, there's a, there's a passage where it says that he, uh, once the guy was able to, like, he wasn't even able to close his mouth. I don't know if anybody has that kind of, um, uh, he says, Oh, here it is. He says, uh, still not quite able to get his mouth to shut and take that quarter and put it in his pocket. Like this guy was still just kind of in shock of what it was. And in some ways, this kind of backwoods guy that came in and, and pulled this off on him is that if he wouldn't have just confidently walked out and maybe wouldn't have been six, five and 300 pounds or whatever he is, um, they might've taken off after him. But I mean, I, I see, I definitely see what you're saying, but yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. The description of Tall, I think, is great, um, for, sort of from Sam Hanks's point of view about, you know, when they would go into um, 
saloons and uh we get this in in a half pint of old darling as well where it describes tall as just whenever he's like in a room with strangers he just like wants to talk to them and asks them about their family and about their work and how they're doing and how their crops are and like things like this and that doesn't always map well onto saloon life in the city yeah city folk <laughs> yeah and uh and it says uh, he was was talking about Sam. Sam had seen Tall get into some pretty tough spots. He was never sure that Tall ever realized that he was in a tough spot when he was in one. And Tall always got out of whatever tough spot he was in. And he never got out of it by either fighting or by shutting up. <laughs> I do enjoy right after that the references to baseball, where he says, yes. like, "Yeah, the only two things, the other two things he loved most were." Basically, watching Tall in his element, and then baseball. <laughs> yeah, Sam Hanks. Yeah, <laughs> Sam Hanks. Yeah. Who? Sorry, this is totally off topic, but Sam Hanks is plays a pretty important role in Jaber Crow. He's the uh, the trucker who sees Jaber <gasps> wandering around after the flood and takes him right? to Port oh, William. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I've never. I didn't make that connection. That's that's a good one. Uh, yeah, that's a great connection. Now, uh, I think the next thing that I would add to this conversation is the, uh, you know, in this episode of what tall looks like, there's another great passage <laughs> that I'll read for you from yeah, what he says. He looked as tall and wide as the door. He wore a sheepskin coat unbuttoned that flared out at the back and sides, giving the impression of great forward momentum. <laughs> Half his shirt tail was out. The bill of his next best winter cap, which I love that next best winter cap, hovered between his right eye and his right ear. His breeches legs were scuffed into the top of a pair of gumboots plastered with manure. He had bought a big sack of hard candy as a gift for Miss Minnie, and the twisted neck of the sack now stuck out as though he carried a setting goose in his pocket. <laughs> um, I, when I, I can't help but think about Hagrid when I think about when I when I think of of Tall. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I think of Hagrid, and then I also. And this is a question I kind of had for you guys, just kind of for fun. I mean, what do you picture? Like, who do you picture? Do you have a certain person you picture when you think about about tall? Um, as when you guys think about it, I have, there's a, a guy I go to church with, and I I was actually reading this story and was like, who do I think of? And I thought about like Jeff Bridges or something, and I had like some people going through my head about like an older, tall, proudfoot, and I couldn't figure it out. And I sat down, and I looked up, and the guy playing the bass on stage, and I was like, it's Kevin. It's Kevin. That is him. Oh my gosh. And the more I thought about it, this is a guy who just kind of like follows him to a T. It's just like a perfect match for him. The the look of him and also his just like sense of humor and the way he way he talks. So now from now and forevermore, whenever I read a Tommy Proudfoot story, I'll be thinking of uh of, of Kevin Whitaker from from East Tennessee. Nice. So what about you guys? I think I think who I the the tall and me proud foot that I most uh the tall and me proud foot that I think of most resembles Abraham Lincoln. Mm. Like photos I've seen of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, kind of tall and rumpled and gangly and yeah. <laughs> uh, heavily bearded. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I mean I, I think the way that he describes him, I, I there's no one that comes to my mind specifically, but the way that in that passage you just read, Tim, the way that he describes him, it it almost implicates the reader in the same kind of prejudice that the store owner has, because you can't help but laugh at him, right? And if you imagine yourself in that store and this guy comes in with, like, manure all over his boots and, like... Hat cocked to the his side. Hat cocked to the side, and like a shirt tail out, and like a random bag of hard candy like spilling out of his. Yeah. Like he always talks about how he's got his like, like he's always scratching his head through his hat, and so his like hair his is sticking out like under sticking over his out. Head. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, like I don't know. There's 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 a little bit there that like I don't know. At least for me, uh, you can't help but laugh at him, and in which case, you know, you're you're. It, it puts you in the same place as the store owner to a, to a degree. Yeah. And while... But does it, like, I feel like we're laughing along with the people who love Tolly. Maybe. That's, maybe. That's the point maybe. I was going to make is that we're laughing along with Minnie. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going right. to be able to quote it, but there's a... 
maybe if anybody's got it in front of them, but like, in front of you, but there's a there's a great line where it says that many when when Tall gets to this point where he's just kind of ruffled and his he's all disheveled and things are out of order, that when she looks at him, she doesn't get embarrassed. She just thinks he's comfortable, hmm. which I think is a great little insight. Oh, like yeah. once he gets to there, that he's he's not he's not out of sorts. That's just that's Tall and when he's comfortable. Building on the on the physical description you read. There's also the description of what he has in his pockets. Yeah. And so when the proprietor of the store tells him how much the navy beans are, Tall I'll I'll read here. Tall began grabbing oh excuse me, Tall began grabbling in his pocket. He held his suspenders with one hand and grabbed with the other, and finally drew out clenched in his fist, an assortment of wadded bills, some coins, half a cut plug, a pocket knife. And the last three inches of a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond the Steinbeck stage. That's a shout out to my erasable podcast fans. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I love that as well. And that comes up in both stories, I think. There's in the last story, the point when when he was, or, or maybe it was earlier in this one, but where Minnie was, was working on him to get him all dressed up. And it says that he took out his, the contents of his pocket to switch over to his new clothes, which had been starched so heavily that it was like they were made of tin. <laughs> I loved that line. I loved it. Um, Something that I, that just occurs to me, you know, having just reread these stories, in, in both of the stories, the two of you have brought up really great lines that I just read over and didn't stick out to me at all. But when you bring them up, like the starch, the clothes that have starched so much they're like tin... Oh yeah, that's 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 an incredible description, and I had gone right over that, and so it just lent. This is one of the reasons why it's so fun to talk about Barry's writing, um, because there are things that we might miss on our own, but in conversation, they're highlighted. Yeah, and there's so much to to bring into it from other stories and stuff as well. I mean, I get that from you guys constantly. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. I'm always really thankful for the fact that um, I there's there's so much out there to pull together from his poetry and his stories and his fiction. And then also the, the breadth of, or, you know, the, the wide variety within any of those genres that it's, it's impossible to keep it all afloat in your head at the same time. So, um, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I thought as we finish up this story and kind of wrap up the episode, I thought a really good quote to finish on was this from the last, the last page of the lost bet. And this is once Andy is talking to Miss Minnie and he says, and then she sat in silence Reflecting, I knew, on the opposing claims of charity and justice in this story, and on the conflict of extravagance and gentleness in Tall's character. Uh, I thought that was a good, a really good quote to describe why he's such a great character and why we're so intrigued by him, and and I think also by Miss Minnie because I think they they meet the same description within themselves. Um, it's a story of charity and justice. And the, the conflict between extravagance and gentleness is, is really touching. So, um, well, I've really been looking forward to talking about these stories. We're, you know, we're always fond of talking about Ptolemy Proudfoot stories, and we've got a couple more to come still uh, in the future that we'll look forward to talking about. In the next episode, we'll be covering Farming a Handbook, and then we'll be getting to, to Nathan Coulter. So uh, really looking forward to that, really looking forward to getting into the novels because I'm, I'm telling you guys, once we get to the point where we're talking about uh, Jaber Crow and some of these bigger novels, it's going to be a Hannah culture. It's going to be hard not to spend five episodes talking about these. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really hope we can we can pull in some some good guests on those. But I've really enjoyed talking with you guys about these stories. Uh, any, any last thoughts about them? I wish Barry had written a Ptolemy Proudfoot novel. And maybe we can still hope. Maybe we can still hope. Yeah. 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 And I have to say, as like a sort of final statement, um, I know Barry's attitude about things being adapted for television, but PBS, come on. Yeah. This is just yeah. like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, what, just, just shut the whole thing down. Delete your account. What? Are, what's wrong with you? <laughs> if you're, if you're not making Nova, it, if you're not Ken making Burns, <laughs> what? If you're not making a Ptolemy Proudfoot miniseries, then I don't know what we're even doing. Mini. Here. Series. Hey, Mini uh, series. Hey, oh. Uh. Oh. <laughs>
Yeah. Goodness gracious, it's done. Okay. Uh, Tall Tales and Miniseries. Patent pending. Trademark. Tall Run Tales a Miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Tall Tales a Miniseries. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, that that deserves at least an executive producer credit for all three of us. <laughs> just that little brainstorming <laughs> session. Yes. Agreed. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening to this episode. We've really enjoyed covering a a half pint of Old Darling and The Lost Bet from Wendell Berry. As we mentioned before, these stories uh, can be found in Watch With Me, That Distant Land, as well as the Library of America edition. Um, You can find us online at Membership Pod on both Instagram and Twitter, and our website is membershippod.com. We've also recently launched, as you've heard at the beginning of the episode a patreon account and so if you are enjoying the podcast and would like to support us through our patreon account you can find that at patreon.com slash membership pod thank you so much for listening to episode three of season two of the membership and we will talk to you soon Mm -hmm.